Welcome back, everyone, to Mental Health in the Academy. I'm Carlos Perez. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I am a licensed professional counselor. I currently serve as the chair for the Department of Psychology and Counseling here at Lubbock Christian University. This podcast is in collaboration with the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Scholarship that is directed by Dr. Kathy Box. I am here today with Dr. Amanda Ellis. She is an associate professor of chemistry. She has been a part of fellowships that have taken place in Oxford University. She is an accomplished researcher, an awesome teacher, and I'm really excited about this conversation. Amanda, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Carlos. Of course, of course. And so this podcast episode is specifically about burnout. So let's let's jump right into it. I thought we would start with, well, first of all, a preface. This isn't to say that I'm burnout or you're burnout. But or... I am. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I, think, I think this is such a timely conversation. But I want to start with just overall, what is it about the academic setting, do you think, the university life that lends itself to something like burnout? Well, I will say anecdotally, I do think I'm experiencing burnout, but there is evidence for this, right? Um, And that's why it's such a a useful topic for this episode and this podcast. Um, So I think part of what happens in the academy is that this is like our life, Hmm. and it is hard for us to separate work from life, and that can add to the experience of burnout, Especially, I know a lot of people who, who they work in the evenings, they work on the weekends, they grade on the weekends. I mean, it's just a continuous, all day, every day. I mean, whenever you can work, you're working. Mm-hmm. Something like that, right? And I love making connections with my students. I let them connect with me outside of the regular hours, which that's what they're doing too. They're studying in the evenings and on the weekends. And so it's just this constant... Um, environment of studying and working. And, and I think it's a, that's especially important for students because they're, they have to go to class. They have to put in hours after class. And so they're, it's, it's a round the clock job for them too, just like it is for professors. Um, we don't talk about student burnout enough. I think that's a thing. Mm-hmm, definitely. I really do. And I feel bad for students these days because there's so much pressure, at least from what I see, it wasn't the same for me when I was a student. There wasn't the pressure to, to publish even at the undergraduate level and going going to academic conferences as an undergrad. That's a new pressure for me, especially for students. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I agree. Um, I think, like, I'm hopeful that maybe our students who've kind of put that pressure on themselves maybe see it as not necessary in the undergraduate level, sure, that yeah. it is kind of an extra thing, but it's also an extra, extra thing. Yeah, yeah. And if you're a high achieving student, you're going to want to do all the things. It's like an unspoken pressure. Like if it, it, it comes with being that high achieving student and there's, there's a lot to that. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, there is. I recently read an article from the Chronicle of Higher Education talking about the great disengagement. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. It's about, so, you know, there were those articles that came out that were talking about the great resignation and people were quitting their jobs during COVID. The great disengagement is kind of a follow-up to that. So people who stayed in their jobs after COVID, they are burnout. They're disengaged. Mm -hmm. Because of COVID, because of changes, because of the strain in a university, they are underachieving. They're disengaged. They don't care. That kind of stuff. I think that's a really interesting idea, especially in the university setting. 
I think there's been so much change over the past couple of years because of COVID. Well, not just because of COVID, just in general. And then throw in a pandemic and throw in the strain of having to take care of your children on top of working. And so people who are still in their jobs are really disengaged. What do you think about that? I can totally see that. And I feel that I struggle with that almost daily. I really want to be engaged and involved. And I'm so tired. And it takes so much mental energy to reach and get that level of engagement that I want. And so I am putting a lot of pressure on myself. And I can see that just across the board. It's not just me. Um, It is across the board and I hear the students talking about that it's real it is it is real and and I wonder about just I wonder about everyone who is in the university settings faculty staff administrators students like I wonder where people are in that at that level of disengagement and how and this is this is why this is a little bit sad for me because I don't I don't want to go to work and be disengaged I don't want to not care I don't want my students to get the receiving end of that either. And I wonder how much of that is happening, not just in, not just in our campus, I think across all universities. I wonder how much that's happening. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting thing for me. You mentioned exhaustion mm-hmm. or being tired. So let's, let me use that as a transition for one of my favorite definitions of, of burnout. And you can share yours. I know you have some too. But this came from, I think it was from a Chronicle of Higher Education article. I should have it pulled up. I'll put it in some kind of show notes or something. But burnout is a combination of exhaustion and cynicism. That's a really interesting definition. What do you think about that? I am cued into the cynicism part, right? You feel like you're doing the work for nothing, uh, or there's no returns, or it's just not moving forward. It's the same thing over and over. It's like Sisyphus pushing the rock up the hill, and then it just rolls back down. You just become cynical the more and more you do it. Because you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that you are anecdote, not maybe formally, or or you're you're experiencing burnout. Mm -hmm. Is that a part of it too, the cynicism part? And Yes, I I wonder what kind of a difference I'm making whenever I'm mm. teaching in front of my students who have blank faces. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, do, do they care? What what's going on here? Yeah. Is it me? Like, is it all of us? Yeah. And it's it's hard to move past that. And I try almost every day, but then there does come a point where I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. And just that blank face, that just oh. like blank stare at you, and that's hard to work through. That's hard to teach through. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I make stupid jokes all the time, and they just <laughs> sit there. Some of them, I mean, in different sections, different times of day yeah. have different responses, right? Yeah. Like, I'm, this is not across the board, but it's it's hard. And then I I think that I do the same thing. If I'm in a meeting, I might be blank-faced. Yeah, yeah. And it's just propagating that cycle. Maybe it's because I'm teaching two research classes this semester, and students don't like research very much. Or maybe it's because the way I'm teaching it. But I get a lot of that blank face. I get a lot of that just like, not even deer in the headlights. It's just nothing. There's just nothing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get a lot of that too. And I agree with you. Like, how do you, how do you not start to think about that in a bad way? Uh, maybe even uh, cynicism might be too strong of a word for me. Uh, I kind of like the word maybe even resentment. Mm-hmm. 
like now I'm in this position where I'm having to teach through all this change. These students don't care. I'm, I'm, this is, this is honest work for me to teach this class right now. There's a little bit of resentment there for me. What do you, is that, how do you resonate with that? I can see that to an extent. Um, whenever I think of resentment, I usually think about it as geared towards someone and Mm. I, I don't have that geared toward the students. I feel like maybe they've got resentment toward me. Uh, Maybe that's what, what the feeling is like, am I being resented? I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. And so they're mad at me for making them sit through (laughs) all. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can, I can see that. I can see that. Share your definition of of burnout, because that was mine, but you have a you have a good one too. Yes, I found um, a few, but in one article from Inside Higher Ed, they mentioned that the World Health Organization categorizes burnout as a, a syndrome that's conceptualized as resulting from chronic chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed, and it is in particular associated with the workplace or your occupation. So when we say Zoom burnout. That's just taking a a real diagnostic word, I guess, and applying it to something else, which isn't bad necessarily, but in particular burnouts with your your workplace and um, to do with stress that's not successfully managed. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting phrase for me, because that makes me think, like, how long has that been going on? Like, how long has that stress been there and nothing's been done about it? I wonder how many people live with that kind of, I don't want to even say chronic stress, like just consistent stress. It's just always there. Mm -hmm. I wonder how many people live like that. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it makes me think of the, the torture where they're dripping the water on your forehead. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. It's just such a slow buildup. And that was even something else um, that I read about was um, everything is piled on. It just never stops. And so you know what you can do to make yourself feel better or get into a better place mentally, but you don't have the energy to get yeah. over that hump yeah. and actually do what you know you need to do. Yeah. And yeah. then it just keeps on going. Does it ever happen to you where you'll get a full eight hours of sleep at night and you wake up exhausted? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. If, if I get the full eight hours. If you get the full, yeah. Yeah. That's, oh. that's not common. That's not, it doesn't happen very often. I know. <laughs> I know. But like on the weekends, I'll try to sleep in and I will sleep in and I'm still like exhausted. Like I, I'm, there's zero gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's, that's more frequent for me these days. Um, and I, and I think that speaks to some kind of burnout experience, just, just physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion, even emotional exhaustion. I think all of that comes with the burnout territory. Um, I have one thought about this, and I want to get I want to get your thoughts on this because if we're talking about the 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 consistent stress, the exhaustion, the cynicism, I threw in reg- resentment in there. If we're thinking about those things, these are characteristics that tend to evolve inside or in you as you become more burnt out. My thought behind that is. Burnout changes you. Mm-hmm. Like you become a cynical person, you become a resentful person, you become an angry person or, or whatever. What do, you, what do you think about that? How does that make sense to you? I completely agree. And it is sad. I, part of me thinks my fixer brain is like, well, how do you fix that? Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, because I don't want to be a cynical person. I don't yeah. want to be a mad person. And if you could get ahead of it, then that could maybe mitigate it. Um, 
I don't know. It's that's interesting thoughts. I, and I, I was thinking about that last night and this morning, uh, going over these notes, and I I do think it is a, uh, a, a an evolving thing. The more the more you experience these symptoms of burnout, the more cynical you become and resentful and angry. And the more angry you become, the more I think it just grows mm-hmm. on its own. And and I do think there is some kind of like deeper change inside of you if that if if there's a consistent stress if it's always there i think there's a deeper change mm-hmm. that takes place i don't know if that makes sense but i think for me too thinking about this is it almost feels like you're isolated and you're the only one that's mm. experiencing your experience yeah and maybe that is true i mean that's something that kind of is true. No one's burnout is exactly the same. No one's life, no one's situation is exactly the same as someone else's, but that doesn't make it better or worse than someone else's. And so we will look at someone else's situation and maybe even compare Mm, our life to their life. And just, it keeps on bringing us lower and putting other people higher. And we need to talk about these things to, to get some solidarity to help get out of the burnout. Totally. Let's talk, well, speaking of that, let's talk for, for a few minutes about the woman's experience. Let's, let's talk about that for the next few minutes. Let's talk about the woman's experience during, during COVID, experiencing burnout and all. There's been a lot of articles and statistics about women carrying more work responsibility and family responsibility, especially over COVID. Um, you had some really good thoughts about that before we started recording. So, so say, some, say a few things about that. That was really interesting what you were saying mm-hmm. earlier. Um, reading through articles and blog posts and even like legit research studies about people's experience and in professors' experience, there is statistical data about women experiencing more stress, having more burnout, having more of the load at home. There's this idea of the double shift that Mm -hmm. the woman's at work for her first shift and then she's at home on the second shift. And I think to an extent, this idea, I mean, it is true, right? Like the data tells this story. But then whenever someone hears it, and let's say it's you, Carlos, a father, a man, you might take offense to it. I am doing work. I am a good dad and spending time at home cleaning and cooking. And so we need to, to be able to differentiate the, the big picture evidence versus each person's individual story. Totally. And one thing that I fear is that the evidence and continuing to talk about this, we need to be informed. We need to be aware of disparities, right? But we also need to know that the, the people who maybe are getting offended by this data or, um, just, I don't know, feeling like they're overlooked because they are actually doing work. Well, actually maybe, that demographic is the one that has to step up more hmm. to make sure that that be- doesn't become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. You were talking about daddy duty yes. earlier. Yeah, I read that in one of these articles, and it just made me roll my eyes. Like, yeah. just those types of terms continue the stereotype. And I've even had students who have said things to me uh, about I had moms are super women, stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, but dads can be too. Sure. Yeah. And just push back on it a little bit. Yeah. I'm not trying to correct anybody, but it doesn't have to just be the mom sure. who's doing all of the laundry and household and brushing teeth and all yeah. of the things, you know. When Noah was really young, um, we, he and I would go to the mall uh, very, very often. I'd put him in the stroller, I'd push him around. Without fail, every weekend, 
when we went to the mall, there'd be some lady who came up to me and she would say something like, oh, you're such a sweet dad. Look at you spending. I'm, I'm just, I'm just being a dad. Like I'm not doing anything special. Like I'm just, I'm just out here. But I wonder how often women get the same kind of experience. We don't. I'd imagine not. No. And so and you're right. The, the stereotype, the dad duty stuff, that furthers that narrative. And I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's, it's not equal. It's not feminist. And so there is something really important about women's experience because it, there's, a, there's a dangerous narrative about, about putting only the idea of women do this more so than, uh, I don't think it's fair. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair. Um, and the statistic is there for a reason. I think it's true. I don't think that needs to be a reality, and I don't think it's fair. Mm-hmm. How does that make sense to you? Well, what I am thinking as we talk about this is the idea of dualism, where two seemingly conflicting stories are, are can both be true at the same sure. time, yeah. right? And that was one of the ideas that I had for this podcast topic, but I think burnout is more applicable across the, the ac- academia, academia, sure. um, whatever. Yeah. So... Um, Anyway, so with dualism, like these two stories of women experiencing higher levels of stress in the pandemic versus men, or even people of color experiencing certain types of discrimination Mm -hmm. versus white people and even systematic racism, all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. A white person could look at some of these statistics and take offense. Like, that's not me. I'm not racist. Mm -hmm. But you have to see both of these stories, the big picture story plus the, the individual story. And I think if we can just listen to each other and believe each other, that can help with the burnout situation. Totally. I completely agree. I completely agree. I think even what you just said, just just listening to each other and talking to that goes such a long way. It really does. Um, I don't think we do that enough. I wonder, I was talking to my wife about this a couple of days ago. Like, I wonder how many people feel safe in their work environment to reach out and to say, I'm struggling, I, I, I'm anxious, I'm burning, whatever, fill in the blank. I wonder how many people feel safe enough to actually reach out to someone and have that met with, I don't know, some kind of warmth, understanding, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many people feel that safe right now. I wonder, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wonder, too. And, and I, I think that's... Even the fact that we're wondering that is a little bit sad for me because this should be a clear, yes, you can reach out to me anytime. We can talk about this anytime. I think, of course, not everyone's a therapist, so I get that. But uh, I think that should be just a part of work environment. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, um, some people would come back and argue that's not the role of work, exactly. of the workplace. Sure, sure, yeah. And I can see that as well, but then that also lends itself to the idea of burnout and not being able to dissociate work from life. So if someone comes back and says, well, work is work, home is home. You need to figure it out. Work doesn't have to be the safe place. Well, then I would push back on that and say, okay, well, how are we going to make this work not be part of my life? Sure, yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's use, I'm going to use that as a transition because the last thing I want us to visit is what do we do about this? Mm-hmm. Like how do we, how do we I, don't, I don't even want to say fix this problem because it's a huge problem, but how do we deal with this? How do we live through this? How do we manage this? You're talking about separation, mm-hmm. separating yourself from work and, and home and everything else. How do you do that? How, not you specifically. Like how do you, second person plural, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Whenever you figure that out, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I, I, I have started this practice. It's been a couple semesters now. Um, I don't check my email at home. Uh, I, I don't have a notification set on my phone. And so if I'm out of my office, I'm not checking my email. There will be an entire weekend where I don't check my email. I probably shouldn't because, because I mean, what if something important happens and I need to know? But there might be uh, a couple of weekends where I might check my emails first thing Sunday morning or something. But for the large part, I'm not checking my email. Like I am not, I literally shut that off. And I think that that's wise if something did happen that was an emergency over the weekend, they would call you. People right? have my number, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you have to figure out what your boundaries are exactly. for your, yeah. your life stage. And um, if you're, you have colleagues who are getting frustrated with you for not checking it on the weekend, that's more on them. They sure. need to accept your boundaries. Yeah. And so we need to figure out what our own personal boundaries are to help us do that separation. And not checking your emails, not having the notifications, that's huge. It is, it is huge. And it's it kind of, it's kind of like a, a double-edged sword because, or whatever that metaphor is, I feel some kind of separation when I don't check my email. But then when I come in Monday morning, I'm like, okay, let's, let's see what the damage is. And so like, there's a little bit of like anxiety as I sit down in front of my computer Monday morning, because I know there's going to be dozens of emails. Um, but but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. I get to separate and I get to not think about work for a little bit. I think that's very healthy. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know if that's normal or if people do that, whatever, that's what I do. And mm -hmm. that's what, that, that's what works for me. Um, I use that as a form of self-care. Uh, I, I take, so sure, the working out meditation, yoga, all that's great, but shutting off my email is therapeutic for me and not, I have to physically go in and open the app on my phone or my computer to check my email. Mm -hmm. That is, that's therapeutic for me. Like I have some control over that or, or something. Does that make sense? Yes. And I do yeah. the same thing. I don't have the notifications. Yeah. They don't ding, they don't banner, they don't have the badge, nothing yeah. on my email. Mm -mm. And that's by design. I know. I use my do not disturb function too. Oh, good. oh yeah. Taking advantage of these boundaries that are built into our technology. Yeah. And I even share that with my students because sometimes they don't know about do not disturb yeah. functions and things like that. Like, do you put like a certain amount, like, like during the day, like hours or something or? You can, um, it depends on your phone and operating system. I know on iOS, you can set it to have like work, do not disturb sure, yeah. versus sleep, do not disturb versus yeah. all. And you can schedule it ahead of time. Before we started this, I put mine on do not disturb for one hour because nice. I don't even want it vibrating in the background. Nice. Yeah. That's a good idea. Mm -hmm. That's a really good idea. I should look into that too. For, for just for a second, let's talk about workload. Mm -hmm. How do you manage your workload? Or what does that even look like? What does that even mean to you? Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> um, I uh, Before, in the before times, I just always had all the energy and could yeah. do everything. Mm -hmm. And that was how I managed it. And I kind of um, even... Uh, gained energy from that, yeah. right? And so now, after March 2020, it's just mm. been so exhausting. Mm. And without, back then, childcare, but also being expected to have everything for the students and feeling a self-imposed burden of helping the students through the situation, sure. yeah. right? Like, it's hard. And so I'm still trying to figure out how to manage it. I do 
schedule my time for preparing for a lecture and time in my lab. I teach three lab sections this semester. It's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. Yeah. And so then like I have my set office hours, but it's, it's just hard. It's, it's a lot. And I don't know how I'm managing it, but I'm managing, I'm making do. How about making that? Making do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. Cause I think, I think managing workload is such an important aspect of, of managing burnout. Um, I, I leave the office every day with things undone and I have to be okay with that. Like I, I literally, th I think to myself, okay, if these five things, I don't get them, if I don't get to them today, so be it. And I leave and that's it. And I, it helps to not check my email, of course, but I have to be okay with not getting everything done that I want to get done in a day. That's how I manage my workload. Mm -hmm. Um, and if I'm, if I'm eight to five, then yeah, I mean, it's, it's packed. I mean, my hour is, every hour is, is solid, but if I leave and things are undone, then it's, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like I have to, I, I can't let that stew and overwork myself. And I've been guilty of that before, but I'm not 20 years old anymore. I can't be just running on a hundred percent energy all day. Like I can't do that anymore. All right. I think one ma way I manage it as well, I mean, I do have a counselor. I, I read books that help me process through my own issues, and then I can find the patterns yeah. that help to apply to my stress at work and that kind of thing. Uh, one of, and I, I do this with my students, I love sharing my life and yeah. everything with my students. Um, but one thing that I ask them before we start lecture almost every day is, does someone have something good to share? Oh, nice. What's, what's one good thing? And scientifically, what I've learned about this is like your prefrontal cortex is the, the logical part of your brain, the amygdala is the emotional part of your brain. And please correct me, I'm just a chemist here. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> um, and they can't be firing at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, your fight or flight can't be online if you have, have like your quote unquote hope circuit. Yeah, yeah. And if you're thinking about one good thing, that's firing your hope circuit yeah. and it's practicing that. And then with our QEP, right? Like pursue, persist, grow. We're all about growth mindset. If we can practice those neurological pathways, it can help us. Kathy Box would be so proud right I now. I know. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> that makes sense though. Like you can't, you can't think there's a psychological term for this. I should know this. You can't think of a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. They don't, they can't exist in your brain. And so firing that hope, like you're talking about, that's a really good practice. That's a really, really good practice. So let me use that as another segue because I'm going to, I was going to talk about that. If we can separate ourselves from work, if we can, if we can turn our email off and, and not be consumed with everything that has to do with work, I think we can be in a better mental space about if we go back to the idea of, of cynicism, exhaustion and cynicism, if we can learn how to separate ourselves, I think we can get into better mental space. And I think that combats cynicism. I like your practice of starting your class period with some kind of hope. How can we do that though? How can we as, as, as faculty, how, how can, and this is just a rhetorical question. How do we do that? How do we practice that kind of hope in order to combat that cynicism? Mm -hmm. And of course, ultimately combat burnout. But that's really good. What do you think about that, about that idea of separating yourself so that you can be in a better mental space? What do you think about that? It's hard. It takes energy to do that. But yeah. once you get to that point, it is energy giving. Yeah. I love lecture, my time in class with my students, and I get so much energy yeah 
from those interactions, um, as long as it's not blank faces, right? <laughs> uh, on a good day when everyone is firing on all yeah, cylinders. Yeah. But I can, 10 minutes before class, be feeling zero energy. Yeah. And I have to gear up to get into that moment. And I could see if it wasn't something that was scheduled, if there wasn't a deadline or like if class wasn't at one fifteen, I wouldn't make myself do it. Yeah. And so if we could build it into our schedule somehow, whatever it is that's energy giving or motivating or, or our good thing, and then somehow have accountability for it. Good. Yeah. Um, that I think would be helpful for everybody. I think so too. Uh, it, <laughs> I'm laughing because I know that, that I know the blank face experience, but I know the good interaction experience too. A good lecture, a good conversation in class. That's very, that's very rewarding. It's very energy giving. Um, but yeah, that's, that's good. I, I like that idea a lot. So one of the last things here then, what do you think about that idea? If we're talking about practicing this hope and practicing this, this, this good idea, good mental space separation, what do you think about the idea of self-preservation as a way to combat burnout? I think that can be huge. We're talking about how burnout, cynicism, resentfulness can like change us yeah. and it's implied, it seems like it's changing us in a negative way. Yeah. And that's not what we want. Mm -mm. Um, so to preserve ourselves, we have to do the hard work to set the boundaries, yeah. like you said, on your phone or with your time, whatever. But we have to protect ourselves and we are the only ones who know what we need. And we can't be afraid to be advocates for ourselves. Mm, good, yeah. And yeah. that just, and I think then the next step is we have to allow others to protect themselves. Yes. Yeah. And we have to respect that. Exactly, exactly. So say, say more about those two things, protecting yourself and letting someone else protect their own space and workload and, and that. Those are two really big, important ideas for me. So talk about those two. I, with my Church Christ background, it, it makes me think about whenever Jesus got mad at the merchants in the temple yeah. and he's overturning the tables. Yeah. They are crossing the boundaries. They are not doing That's good. what needs to be done. And so we can fight for ourselves. Our bodies are temples, right? Yeah. And we need to protect ourselves. And we're the only ones who know how that comment manifests itself in my brain, you know, and everyone has probably experienced, quote unquote, that comment, yeah. right? Yeah. And we have the choice then to fester in that and uh, internalize it or to try to put it in a box let it go to the side, give that other person some grace. We don't know what their day was. Yeah. Maybe they had a flat tire. I don't know. You just have no idea what someone else's experience is. And so that's, I think that that actually illustrates both. Like I am protecting myself, but I'm also giving someone else the room to have their own mess. That's good. And I don't have to take it on. Yeah. I can't control anything except for what I can control. That's good. Yeah. And so that allows for both me to protect myself and also to allow others to just have their own experience. And if it gets to a point where their experiences is coming over into my, over my boundaries and over my yeah. borders, I can get mad about that. Totally. That, everyone, everyone struggles. Everyone has something, uh, whether it's something like, uh, like a flat tire, like you're saying, or something bigger, everyone carries something and giving them the space to carry that. I think that's huge. I, re I really think so. I think both are so important. 
I think both speak to the idea of separation and mental separation. If I can stand up for myself, like you're not going to cross my mental boundary and I'm going to, I'm going to protect myself and same thing with someone else uh, and letting them do that. that. Those are two really good ideas for me. Really, really good. Um, one more thing. What do you think about how does an institution at large combat or help or navigate burnout? What do you think about that? Mm. I think one way that individuals and institutions can combat burnout is, and we've said it, right, is listening. Mm -hmm. But I think intentionally seeking out the stories that are outside of our echo chamber. Mm, good. Listening to the stories and and believing them, not getting offend, offended and not getting defensive, not saying, well, that wasn't me. Yeah. That's not my experience. Well, it's not your yeah. experience. And so listening and just affirming everyone's individual experience and moving on from there, trying to figure out what to do with from there um, could be huge. I, I did also one in particular idea that I have no room to be able to implement this. But in one of the articles that I read about burnout, they said that an idea that an institution could implement to help uh, mitigate burnout is to allow for sabbaticals from research. Interesting. So you just focus on your teaching. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So take that off your tenure requirements mm -hmm. for a semester or so. And interesting. I know. And that's like the point of the university. I know. Yeah. Is to teach, at least our university sure. in particular. It's the undergraduate experience teaching in those classes, relationships with those students. Yeah. And if we could lighten the load somehow and with financial issues, yeah. it could save money too. It could, yeah, totally. It could. I can see how research can be a very lonely experience or more so than teaching because you get you get in your own world you get in your own you have a like a i've tried to do like uh research days or writing days and it's just it's just me with my head in my computer i can see how that can be isolating and if you're already burnt out that doesn't help much but i can see how if you take a, a sabbatical from research and you only teach my translation is only connecting Mm -hmm. I, th I can see how that can be really helpful for someone. Life-giving. Yeah, I can see that. Especially you have those good days where you have good conversations, especially that. Yeah, I can see that. That's really interesting to me. I wonder how many people do that or how many universities do that. Yeah, I don't know. All I saw was that as a suggestion. I didn't do a, a huge lit review, yeah. but I, I don't know if there are institutions yeah. that implement that. It would be amazing. I think that would be amazing. I think it would be in not just LCU, but every university. I think it would be in the academy's best interest to foster that in, in their faculty, to foster connection, to foster relationships, to foster... I think that combats cynicism. That might even foster respect or, or even grow a, a seed of trust or something like that, I think that can go a long way. I really think so. Um, and that's not to say that the university is at fault for burnout. I'm not want to say that either, but people are experiencing burnout in the university and all, all employment across, across the United States. So, so I get that too. But that's a really interesting idea. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. So we're coming to the end of my notes here, Amanda. This has been a really good conversation. This has been very helpful. 
the CTLS, the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Scholarship, wants to give faculty a resource, and this is it. And I want to have conversations with other people across campus. I think this has been very helpful. This doesn't have to be therapeutic per se, but I think these are still good conversations to have, and I think people can benefit from them. Um, so we're going to have a space for people to ask questions on our Facebook page, the Department of Psychology and Counseling, and the Facebook page for the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Scholarship. So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. But if not, Amanda, thanks. Thank you. This has been a, this has been really good. I appreciate it. Um, so in the meantime, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, take care and let's be kind to each other.